0: Let go.
1: tingling greetings, my vampiric friends. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard is courtesy of my friend, country legend Bobby Mackey, and I'm of course your host, Tessa Morrow. Today I have a special guest joining me. Will Revis is from Colorado, and since the age of 18, he's been in law enforcement from being a patrol deputy to a corrections officer to even working where they held death row inmates. Also, a fireman and a paramedic. So, a man of many talents. Currently, Rivas works in the mental health field. Will Rivas, thank you so much for joining me this fine day. Good morning. So, you are in my hometown of good old Pueblo, Colorado. Any snow out there right now?
0: Yes, as a matter of fact, a little.
1: Nice. Yeah, I'm stuck in North Carolina where we're, you know, you're lucky if you see a quarter inch of snow and it melts in like two seconds. So, it's sometimes I really miss that snow, that good snow we get in Colorado. (laughs) Not driving in it, you know, but, you know, just being there. So, Will, have you been a lifelong believer when it comes to the paranormal? Or did something kind of happen to you to push you into that direction?
0: Well, I'm Hispanic, so Hispanics generally are very steeped in paranormal. And, you know, I believe it started you know, with stories from my grandpa, and, you know, everybody has their their stories, especially around these areas, and, you know, there'll be stories going back from family members for generations, and they just get passed on, and passed on, and passed on.
1: Yeah, and I love that. I love, uh, are there any stories that were passed on to you that you'd like to share regarding that?
0: Well, I mean, most of the stories come from my grandfather, and he was, he was a farm laborer, so he spent a lot of his time in the fields working with the tractors and mm. and up at the crack of dawn, out on the tractor before the sun comes up. So, you know, there are stories ranging from disembodied voices and in certain areas, and there are certain areas where they didn't really like to go because there tended to be more incidents shall we say
1: yeah
0: and we're talking strange lights there's a story that my grandpa passed on him and another gentleman were cutting hay which happens during the summer you know they're generally out in the field all day long from early morning to the late late night they're out there with the tractors and the tractors are, have light there's stories of uh, my grandpa used to tell stories that Him and his partner were were out there cutting, and all of a sudden everything goes quiet. Mm. And they went to start the tractors. The tractors wouldn't start, and they were sitting in the they were sitting in the same tractor, talking about what they should do. And they heard something. They couldn't. They didn't really see it because there was no light. It was dark. They heard something or. From one side of the field to the other, and they could hear it because it was, you know, it was moving the crop as it as it went through, and heavy breathing and growling. And my grandpa said they tried to start the tractors, tried to start the tractors, they wouldn't
1: start. Oh no!
0: Until after the whatever that entity—I I call them entities—but yeah, after it had passed, then the tractors start right up, and you know. So I, I have to say that might be really unnerving. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I could only imagine, you know, and this is after, mind you, like you said, just this long day of hard work, and that's, like, the last thing you want to encounter. At this point, you're probably like, I just want to go home.
0: You well, know, yeah, you know, and like I said, you know, being Hispanic, growing up Hispanic, it's part of the way that you're brought up. Right. You know? and there's always stories, and, you know, especially I live out in the rural areas, so there's not really everybody's got their stories. Families have got other families have stories, and they range from everything. Not just disembodied voices, but lights, UFO kind of stuff, and, you know, everybody knows the story of the Yoruba, and those kind of things, so.
1: Exactly. Will, you yourself, what was the first encounter or experience that you had with the paranormal?
0: Well, Wide range of jobs, and most of them were public service related. My first, the first incident that really, really kind of shook me up was I was a patrol deputy, and it was October, around about October, so the chillier time of year, so it wasn't warm.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was on patrol. It was about I'll be 10:30, 11 o'clock at night, and I was on a, a two-lane stretch of road, where in my patrol district, and I was driving from west to east on a main a main artery, you know, in my patrol my district, and I noticed a light where there normally wasn't one. Mm. And generally out, out where I was working, it's a rural area, so there are very few outside of towns that have elevated lighting. And uh, I noticed a light where there shouldn't have been, and I happened to be talking to somebody on the phone at the same time. And I went and I tried to... Determine what it was so I drove and it was about I don't know it was it was quite a distance away when I first saw it Mm. And when I drove up closer to it I ended up being Parallel to it running from north to south on a two-lane stretch of road There was a car probably about three-quarters of a mile in front of me and one about a mile maybe a mile and a half behind me Because it was dark I could see the lights and I could still see the tail lights in front of me And I noticed the light was about 50, 60 feet in the air. Oh, wow. And it was about, in my mind, it was about the size of a basketball. And it was just the light. And approaching the light, was kind of, like I said, it was kind of cold outside. I had the windows up. But normally when you're in a patrol vehicle, you leave your windows down about four inches. So that way if something happens and you can hear it. Yeah. You know, gunshots or whatever. So I had my window down inches, and I was approaching, and I—I I in my mind, I thought, well, that's kind of unusual, helicopters don't generally come that low to the ground, and being in my patrol vehicle, we have a spotlight, which is on the driver's side of the vehicle, and you can aim that spotlight wherever you need to, be, to aim it, and, and I'm not sure if you know, but the FAA frowns very badly on uh, illuminating an aircraft, yeah. or putting a laser designator on it they really don't like that right and uh, so they, they they could not pretty harm people to do that kind of stuff so <laughs> I had my my spotlight on on the car and I was like well I better not do that because I'll get in trouble so as I slowed the, I, I was at a I'd say about a range about a quarter of a mile from from the object it was up to mine left at about a I guess a I'd say a 45-degree angle, and I had slowed my vehicle down so I could hear, you know, if it's a helicopter, it's going to make noise because those things do not move quietly anywhere. But as I approached, I noticed that it wasn't making any noise. So I slowed down to, I don't know, probably about five miles an hour, and I rolled the window down completely. There was no noise. And then I don't know if you know what they call relative positioning. Relative positioning is what they use in... relation to your And from the left came out two smaller lights, about the size of, I'd say, a softball. But they kept, they had a they had a radius probably from the bigger light about four or five feet. So it was now a triangle instead of just a, a light, a single light. And I was like, hmm, okay. And so I, in in my mind it's like, okay, it noticed me. So I sat there and I looked at it. I wasn't afraid or anything, but I was curious. Yeah. it moved directly north of where it was at a speed that I, I couldn't calculate. It was so fast. And being a patrol deputy you have to estimate speed for a running radar. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't estimate. So that way you know when to turn on your radar. This thing moved so fast and as soon as it left it didn't make any noise at all. And I was on that two lane road, I tried to jump I tried to I was gonna try and keep up with it. So I turned left on the next crossway, turned east, and out there everything is country road. It's a mile. The, the blocks are set up in miles, so if you go from one block to the next, it's one mile. Yeah. So I had to grab a mile to the east, and to get to the next north south uh, avenue. So I went north, and by the time I had about halfway to the turn to go north, it was gone.
1: Oh my god!
0: And I was sitting there thinking, and and I was like, at that point, I kind of started to get a little freaked out. And where I'm at, where I was patrolling, there's a prison, and they have 45-foot-tall observation towers. And I used to work at this particular facility. So I went, and I went to... uh, You could approach the facility without actually going in. And I approached the prison, and guy that was up there open the window while well, he happened to be somebody that I knew and I asked him if he had seen it and he hadn't seen it so I was like oh, I'm just, I must be just crazy and then one of the other guys that was say, working at the same agency was on patrol same night he was coming from east to west on the same road uh, the same thoroughfare that I was on initially when I observed the, the light and he was as it turned out when he was going westbound after i had seen a vehicle that started to move n- the i don't know what it was it started to move north it passed immediately above his patrol car traveling north hmm. so he observed it as well oh. uh, at then i thought okay I'm, <laughs> and generally you know you don't speak
1: about those things because people start to think you're crazy and, yeah
0: you know so that's not, those are not our thing, Those aren't things you, should, you you openly discuss. Right. Your position and, and you yeah. know, people make up stories about a lot of things, you
1: know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that must have been so eerie, but that must have been kind of like validating for you that somebody else actually saw this, you know, it wasn't just you. And, yeah. but that is eerie. I, you know, I've been investigating the paranormal for several years and it takes, It takes a lot to scare me, but UFOs is something completely different. I am, you know, being in Colorado and New Mexico, I have seen my fair share of things in the sky that I just can't explain, you know. And to me, that's scary. I'll deal with the spirits and ghosts all day, entities all day. But when it comes to something more like that, an unidentified flying object, I will run away. I'm scared of that. (laughs)
0: And you know in your mind you think about how you're gonna react to something and yeah when you see it you try to prepare yourself oh well I'm gonna do this yeah do well you know I, I, I if anything I was more curious because you know when you see something that isn't right mm-hmm. you're like mm, okay and then you try and explain it away well could be we could be that yeah but I had I had no explanation, and you know that's yeah. kind of the the eerie part is you know you saw something, but what was it that you saw? You know, at least this way I can say somebody else observed the same thing. Right, he has a different opinion of it than I do. We both saw something. We don't know what, but we we saw something.
1: Right. Exactly. And it's interesting because a lot of cases, people, it's like a very quick thing. You see it and it's gone. But in your case, you actually were able to spend, you know, quite a bit of time just watching this and then kind of chasing it and observing it more. I mean, estimated time. How long do you think that this went on from start to finish?
0: From the beginning, when I very first saw it, it had to have been a good, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Wow. Because even when I approached it and I rolled my window down and I hung up the phone, it wasn't an instantaneous reaction from whatever it was. It it
1: was like a good half half a minute that I stood there and listened. Yeah.
0: And it was, and then it, but that's what struck me is there was you know out in rural settings like where I was at, there's always dogs, there's always some kind of noise, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's cows, cattle. And right. there was nothing. It was super still and quiet, quiet like I've never heard quiet. Oh. Uh, that's probably what struck me was it was so quiet, and this thing made no noise. And it it moved just immensely fast.
1: Wow, yeah, that is eerie. And like you said, that you know, it's like the silence can be so deafening. And it was almost like you think, like, okay, everything out there birds other animals whatever it's like they go into survival protective mode where they're like okay silence you know like danger is near
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and you know it's it's funny because you you, sit, you think you see it and then you, know, you try and talk yourself out of it no that's not what it is it's this and then you you, you see it and then and your mind processes this situation that situation but you know I didn't like I said I didn't I wasn't afraid of it I was just hmm that's kind of strange you know and yeah your mind is kind of I don't know if it was just it over it did my senses to where I just didn't do anything because as an as an officer they teach you that behavior human behavior is generally based on learned activities you know, so when you respond to something, you have had to respond to it in the past. They call it the oodle loop. And whether it's a threat or whether it's whether it's uh, something that's docile or not violent towards you, build, your body builds up a learned response to those things. So sometimes when you encounter a, a situation where you have not had an experience, you tend to freeze and do nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's how I am sometimes. Like I just like, especially like after I had an attachment, there's times now where usually I would be okay. But like, for example, I was in Del Norte, Colorado at my mom's business and we were closed for the day and I was the only one there. And I was still kind of feeling the effects of my attachment. And um, she has like a little hostel. She had a little hostel In the area, in this old log cabin that people riding the divide would stay in sometimes. And so Uh this one guy is just banging on the glass window where I felt it was going to break. And instead of walking up to him and saying, hey, we're closed or whatever, I all of a sudden felt like I couldn't move. I started not being able to breathe i couldn't even get the phone to dial nine one one. and when i finally called my mom uh-huh. i just like i couldn't even speak she said like i was speaking in tongues like i couldn't it was just the weirdest thing and it's not like he was like uh-huh. you know had a weapon and you know whatever but it was just so scary to me and it was it was so it is interesting how that kind of thing happens
0: yeah of course and, and like i said and for law enforcement people they train you out of it yeah they do you have a learned set of responses for every situation, and that's how it starts. Yeah. And they, they make it to where your response is, it doesn't involve thought. Because whenever you generate emotion, you have to think it up, and then your body has to complete the loop. Your, your your brain has to send electrical impulses to your muscles to move to initiate response. Well, they train you out of it. They You do it so much and so often, that it's something you do secondary. Your thought is secondary. It's not an, an initial requirement.
1: No, that makes sense. And that's
0: why they, they cut down. They try and cut down response times. So if you're in a situation where it's dangerous, that you can, it takes less time for you to be ready and to initiate a response.
1: That's smart. It is so impressive to me that since the age of 18 you've been helping people you've been making a difference in your community keeping it safer as a law enforcement officer as a firefighter and a paramedic I mean to me that's just amazing people who have listened to my podcast know that I'm a huge supporter when it comes to law enforcement and first responders everywhere and so thank you for your service it is greatly appreciated
0: oh well you know don't necessarily do it for thanks because it's something that we would do even though you never get a thanks and
1: right
0: well, that's what we we're there for and that's what we we try to do and, you know most law enforcement that I've ever met and worked with they're about helping people that's why they get into this and you know with all the negativity about it now yeah. you know yeah there are bad people there are bad people and everything there are bad bad doctors there's bad nurses there's just you know, it's something that's out there. Right. And now more than ever, whenever something goes wrong, it's instantly heard all over the world. Everybody knows. It's not anything like, you know, 40 years ago when it was just via telephone. There was very rarely there was any TV, the instantaneous of news now, it,
1: you know, it just spreads things so fast. And yeah. we're quick to jump to
0: conclusions. And society as a whole now is the glorification of crime and violence. And, you know, it's acceptable. Whereas, you know, 50 years ago, you didn't hear things like that. You know, people tried to be hardworking and yeah, straightforward law-abiding citizens trying to trying to make it.
1: Right. Yeah, and I, like you said, that's my argument with people all the time when it's like, okay, you know, there's some bad people who are cops who shouldn't be. But like you said, in every single profession, lawyers, teachers, think about the teachers sleeping with their students. I mean, there's people who are doing things that should clearly not be doing, you know, what they're doing. And so I lost, I actually, over a year ago, lost my absolute best friend of 20 years, because I supported law enforcement, and she decided not to. And yeah, it makes me sad that, People are like that. But, and I, you know, I mean, like you said, so much is happening right now with law enforcement. And I have so many family and friends that are LEO. And it really, I just worry about them more than ever now. And so I oh, always wow. have them in my thoughts and prayers as they keep doing what they do to try to keep us all safer, even though it's not greatly appreciated by some.
0: Well, like I said, generally don't do it for appreciation or Right. It's- it's because you genuinely want to help people. And right. What, what bothers me the most is that they think that because of biases, be they gender, be they racial, they believe that just because you don't
1: understand something, they immediately tend to they demonize it. Yes. Negative. You cannot agree with somebody's point of view and still be there when they need your help. Absolutely. I could not agree more with you, Will. Absolutely. So, I always like to talk with law enforcement because a lot of the times, like, you were on duty when you saw this mysterious thing in the sky. Are there any other things while either on duty as a firefighter, paramedic, or officer, where, besides this light, where you just could not explain it?
0: For a while, I was not working as a deputy, I was I was going through school to be a deputy, and uh, I used to work as a security guard, mm. and I was working at a property in the Springs, in Colorado Springs, it's kind of an unusual property, it was a three-building complex, apartment complex, and they were older buildings, you know, I kind of figured they were built in the 70s because of some of the construction details that they had, and... Yeah. It was, and they were long buildings. that were kind of strange because they were, they were unusually long. There were three floors to each building and we I used to have to walk a patrol through all of them. The property always kind of made me uneasy because it was in it was, the way it was set up. The buildings were in the middle of a small, like wooded area, probably about a mile square. Mm. And it was unusually wooded. You know, all the other properties around it did not have the, did not have that, that little wooded area. This complex was in the center and I was like I said, you have that unusual that not necessarily a negative feeling but a, you feel uneasy yeah. sometimes. And I was walking in patrol, I had gone through the first building and I had walked all the way to the second building and the, the configuration it was two buildings side by side in one building at the far end, perpendicular to the other two. I had walked through the first building, which was the west of the of the three. And what I would do is I would walk inside the first building along the bottom floor, the little floor, the top floor, down the stairs, and then into the second building, and then do the same pattern, and then onto the third building. I had gone to the first building, and I was in the perpendicular building, the farthest from the, the front entrance. And I had walked, into the bottom, and it was probably, I'd say, 50 yards long. And it was funny because it was almost like you know, you see horror movies where you know you're in a long hallway and there's lights, yeah, you know, and it's very long and it's dingy and dark, right? And some of the lights are, are, are you know, flickering on and off for no real good reason, yeah. So I started walking, and I had reached, I had probably gone about 10 20 feet. When I noticed something at the far end, mm. and it was darker at that end, and I was like, hmm, I had my flashlight, and it, uh, it was an armed security post, so I did have my, my sidearm, and I clicked my light on, and those law enforcement flashlights are, they're 4D cell mags, and they'll pretty much light up whatever. I noticed kind of, I don't know, I guess it would have been like a smoke, a smoke in the far it would have been on the left side at the very far end it looked like smoke it to me it looked like just smoke and i was like hmm, i wonder what that is yeah and you get your flashlight out and i tried to illuminate it and what was funny about about the situation is if you use your light in smoke it still goes through penetrates and goes to the other side when my light hit the smoke it didn't penetrate through the smoke Ooh. it hit Edge and stopped so it kind of got me to stop. I was, at that point, I was halfway through. So this was probably about 25 yards away from me. Hmm. And I'm standing there. And as I am standing there, I'm just observing. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. The, the smoke moves. And I that's about the only way I can, I can explain it is it, it moves low to the ground. And in these apartments, there was, I noticed that some of the front doors were a little large. So like if there was a light on, Especially at night, it would penetrate under the door. So, like if they had a TV in their front room right there, you know how the TV changes, goes from dark to light, dark to light. And, right. Yeah, it goes under the door, and you kind of see. Well, this smoke moved towards the floor, and once it reached the floor, it looked like
1: it changed into like a liquid form. Oh, crazy! On the floor,
0: wow. On the floor and I could see it, and I, I watched it as it moved under the door. It completely moved under the door, hmm. and that was it. And I was like, oh, that's unusual.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that one kind of freaked me out, because I went and I told my boss that I would never work that property again. It kind of, that, one, that one freaked me out.
1: Uh, yeah, that is that like, is wild. Wow. <laughs> I could only imagine. That's You said it like looked like smoke to you. Did you smell any weird kind of smell at all?
0: Mm, no, I didn't. I wasn't, I didn't notice any, yeah. any sort of aroma with it. But and then again, too, when you, when you see something that, that you're not quite sure of, you, you tend to, some senses tend to block out. So if there, yeah. there might've been, but I was just intently observing, you know, so I was just, because right. I didn't even, I don't remember even hearing anything
1: oh wow and it's so crazy like it sounds like this was like a shapeshifter of some sort like you said it was like first went from smoke to this like weird liquid stuff and so wow that's wild i wouldn't want to go back there either
0: yeah and, and what was strange about it it was like an unusually large amount of smoke and and it didn't really have smoke characteristics like Smoke will leave a trail. Uh, you notice it's, it, it leaves a trail. Mm-hmm. This was more of like a solid, it had more of a solid consistency to it. The only thing I can compare it to is now, you know, people, they're really into vaping. And some people can generate a
1: very large amount of of vape yeah.
0: smoke, I guess. And it's different than regular smoke. It's not the same. It's, it's more of a, it, it, it travels differently.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Any other bizarre encounters on duty? Oh,
0: geez, I mean, yeah.
1: (laughs) I love hearing these.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there's so many. I mean, I worked at a I work at an agency out way out on the plains in Colorado, Southeast Plains, and in this community is a strange community. It's, it's very rural. It's very—I it, I don't even think there's five thousand residents in in, in, the, in the in the in the town. Yeah. Immediately for me, I don't know if maybe I'm sensitive or you know, it it, it has a, a different kind of feel to it. You know, I used to work nights, three to three, three P to three A. It was always interesting. I used to park at night. It was off the normal drag, I guess you could say, off the normal street. And there was a parking lot with a single mercury vapor streetlight in the center. It was a weird configuration, but I used to sit in there with my windows cracked so I could hear things going on. And I used to do paperwork. Mm. And in the in, in my patrol car at that time, I had uh, a red light. They generally changed the interior vehicle light from a, a regular light to a a red bulb, hmm. which is, can't really see what's inside from a distance.
1: Oh, okay. So it allows you to still see and write, but you're less visible. That's
0: and smart. I used to sit in that car doing my paperwork, and the human body is an amazing thing, and it's there, I believe, as a human, there are things that the body can do that we don't even know about yet. There's abilities with people that, that we have not come to understand or to even observe in certain people. I used to be able to sit in the car, and I have a belief, and it's not necessarily because of anything I was told, but I believe there are entities in this world that are human and then there are some that are not human and then there are some that are old, older than than time itself and they travel places they they have an existence just like people do but their their plane of existence is different yeah and you can feel i could feel when you know you can't see anything in in our i believe our consciousness There's nothing there to be seen, but there are other levels of consciousness, I believe. And these these entities, these things, move and they exist in their consciousness, whatever that might be. You can feel these things when they come by. Because for like me, a common reaction is the hair standing up on the back of your neck. Yeah, That's your own body telling you that, hey, there's something here. You might not be able to see it, but there's something. started to turn and I, I observed nothing on the street corner and as I started to turn through the front windshield of the vehicle there was a man mm. an, an old man because he he was standing there it was just you know it wasn't moving he was just standing there and he was looking at me and then as my front windshield passed the pillar the a pillar on the passenger side of the vehicle once that passed through the the intersection and i was looking out the side window He was gone
1: oh wow
0: and that, that kind of caught me by surprise so i was like oh that's different yeah but that's kind of what makes me think is there's things over there that'll show you they'll still they think they want to be seen they'll be seen they'll make themselves observable by you and I, I didn't feel like it was a negative or a malevolent thing it was just a thing yeah. Maybe he wanted to be seen or wanted to be observed, whatever. But he was there, and then
1: he wanted. To... Oh, that's wild. That kind of reminds me of a one time my friend shared a story with me out of New Mexico, and he was driving on most highways in New Mexico are desolate. But you know, he was driving, and he sees this guy walking along the side of the road, and he passes him, and at this point for several miles as he's getting into town, no other cars, you know, you could drive forever and not see another soul or a car. And so he gets into town and as he's into town, he sees that same person walking on the side of the road, but several miles, you know, probably 20 or so miles. And it's not like a car had passed him and pulled over and let the sky out. And so it's just sometimes really interesting, or it's like, wow, how the hell did that happen? You know?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. you know, like I said, there's there's things that are out there that that our our consciousness really doesn't explain or or understand. That the world's a mysterious place, and there they're just there are things now that they're just starting to understand, especially
1: with regards to the human mind and and, and its abilities. Right. Absolutely. So, Will, you know, one place that you actually worked at for a while is a place that many would consider hell, Death wow. Row. Any intense stories to share about Death Row? I mean, not even just like paranormal. I'm always interested to hear about people in law enforcement and some of the things they go through, some like, you know, bizarre things or paranormal things or whatever anything crazy to share about while on death row and I understand you know about keeping people anonymous and what have you I just I'm always curious about that kind of stuff
0: oh well and I'll tell you most of my experience at that time was dealing with those kind of people and I'll tell you they're different they don't necessarily they don't act the same. They, you know, they're regular people, but there's just something about them that is—I don't know. Maybe, like, again, maybe it was just me and my experience that I—I I was sensitive to something. I don't know what, but mm-hmm. you know, you can feel a difference in them because even the way they think is is different than normal people. Yeah. Their whole—and I don't want to say purpose because I don't—I don't believe that they do that for purpose. That they were put here for that, but they have a different mindset about. Thing. And for them, it's except the ones that I had interactions with, and I've had, you know, I've worked not just at that particular location, but I've had access to some of the most prolific killers in the state of Colorado.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'll kind of leave it at that. I mean, there's two in particular. One was the Peter shooter, another was uh, another gentleman. Food restaurant. Wow, these gentlemen—they just the way that they think is 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 remarkably different than normal people, and I think it has to be because who could do those type of things and just be normal? Exactly. And whether it be that's the way they were wired or it's a learned behavior.
1: Especially since you know what they're capable of doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, you know, these people, well, have obviously done harm to people that are important to them. Some. Right. So what? Well, we probably would take nothing for them to to, to, to harm a stranger. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it is eerie, the people that are out there. And I I remember as a kid, it was before I actually lived in Pueblo, but my grandma, I, all my family on my dad's side lived in Pueblo for the most part. And I remember in the summers, I would go and stay with my grandma out there in the south of Pueblo. And I remember one time I was walking down the street with my friends Actually, they're the friends that I asked if you're related to. (laughs) And we just see this like kind of blood cast off on the sidewalk. And I don't know if you remember if it was even in your area, but there were two priests that were murdered several years back. And that was that. I mean, we ended up finding out it was because of like to due to that. But then I had another time where I had to go with my, my aunt I don't know if it was the courthouse or we had to go somewhere. Cause she had to drop something off. And we were walking past this one room and I saw passing by this man. And I was like, he looks so familiar. I've seen him in the news. It was, uh, this man, I don't even want to say gentleman, but this man named Ron White. I think he was a serial killer who like killed like his roommate and a few other people, but it's just crazy. And as you know, I lost a friend who was a serial killer. It's everywhere, tiny, tiny towns and big towns, just so many demented people. But yeah, I wouldn't trust those people either, for sure.
0: It's something you learn, and you know, you can approach these people, but with the instantaneous news, instantaneous mess of news, everything is immediate, and you you know about things that happen on the far side of the country the instant that they happen. Yeah, you know, and, and these people, uh, they, they're all in the news for however long, and these people are, they're people too, they're just a different kind of people. Right. You know, most people, most folks are kind and good-hearted, and these ones aren't, but they're still people, and I guess it's just one of those things you gotta understand. And sometimes I think it's better not to understand where these people are coming from, because if you do... You can't understand them. It means you're just like them.
1: Yeah. Uh, nice. You know
0: that's what I always used to tell myself. If I ever start to to sympathize and empathize and, and understand these people, that I would stop doing it. And sure enough, you know, yeah, I don't want to be that. That's not that's not what I am. that's not what my games in life are.
1: Right. So a while back, you on Messenger on Facebook, you mentioned something about going to Fort Lyon some time to investigate there. Hmm. Talk about this location if you will. Like what's going on at Fort Lyon?
0: Okay. Well, let me give you a little bit of history. Yeah. To the place. Okay, Fort Lyon has been in existence since the time of the old west. There was a factual military fort into the back into the 1800s because at that time it was where the military would, staging state the military would use to protect settlers in the area. So we're talking the time of Bent himself, the actual, Captain Bent was a a soldier, and that's who they named the port after. And at some point, the Veterans Administration had come into possession of that land, the government still, and there's a military cemetery there. There, for a very, very, very long time, was a, a hospital for veterans. And they had lockdown wards for dementia and you know, my father worked there for many, many years. And mm. I he, he retired from there. Oh wow. And he, he used to work nights on the property as a medical a medical person. And he himself has told me of the things that used to happen in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning and there. There are many, many stories of disembodied voices, of electronic doors with the electronic eye opening and closing with nobody being there. Oh, geez. An elevator that is a key elevator only moving between floors without anybody being inside. Mm. And at some point, property was turned over to the Department of Corrections for the state and it was made into a... Facility. and i've had family that's worked out there and there were many 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 unusual things that have happened out there with regards to disembodied voices and image uh, apparitions and that property has had a huge huge history of of suicides
1: oh geez. because
0: of mentally unstable patients and
1: yeah
0: not just mentally unstable patients but Suicides of staff, and, mm. and we're talking years and years and years of these kind of of these kind of issues. You know, oh, wow. it, it was not unusual for them to lose a patient and to find them somewhere on the property months later. Oh geez! Plus, it has its own military cemetery on property, so this is and it's close to water, as mm. most of these high. And I and I call it a high intensity locationist because there's a lot of things that go on, you know? Disembodied voices, unexplained noises. There's a myriad of experiences that people have told me and I have had other family that have lived that have worked there and lived on the grounds because at some point they had housing in there for staff. And at that, point, at some point when D.O.C. took it over, they had staff living on the property as well. So you know, there's numerous, numerous accounts of things going on. Oh wow! Out there, it's a high active location. Really, it is. And now, yeah, I believe it's a rehab facility. They use it for a rehab facility. They send addicted per- persons from the Denver area, and they send them out here to try and get them clean and and get them ready to go back into
1: their lives. Wow yeah it sounds like an extremely active location I always that's always been one of my favorite things to investigate are you know jails and asylums and sanitariums but every time I go to those places I just like I'm a sensitive so like I'll feel I'll just feel the sadness and sometimes I'll just feel bouts of the sadness while I'm there and you could just Mm -hmm. I just like picture the people being there and I know they did things, obviously, and that's why they were there. But it's just like the feeling, the atmosphere, it's just, it's different like other locations.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, that's that's funny because most people are aware of those things. They can feel them. That's your mind letting you know to just be prepared.
1: (laughs) Right. Absolutely. So, Will, before we end the episode. And this isn't really a question about paranormal, but I always like to hear about, you know, people like you being in law enforcement, firefighter, paramedic. I know each case and story is special and different, but are there certain stories that you are able, I know, again, keeping people anonymous, but certain stories that just kind of stayed with you, like, you know, saving a life of somebody or a close call or something like that that you're able to share?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, for a, when I was a paramedic, after I'd been a paramedic for many years, I moved out to Sterling, which is out in the northeast part of the state. I worked for the state out there, and uh, at the, I used to work two jobs. I'd work for DOC during the day, and at night, and on the weekends, I would work EMS. For a long time there, it seemed like I couldn't go on vacation without finding some sort of some sort of some incident where I <laughs> needed to do my my medical stuff. I've I've come across Car X, and for years it just I was in you know I'd find those things without necessarily really trying. Yeah, things like I was being followed. <laughs> those things would follow me everywhere. But I don't, I don't know that that was it. I just think that it was just you know, your, your awareness of the situation, but, you know, as you mentioned, or as you, course, you asked me, uh, there's one incident in particular. Uh, it was probably about five years ago, five to seven years ago, and during that time, my family had had a real difficult time because I had had two uncles and an aunt pass away. My first uncle died of, died of cancer, oh. and then seven months later, his wife passed, oh. and, Probably about another four months later, had my youngest uncle pass away from a heart attack, so it was a real real tough time in the family, and you know, being, this was before the COVID, and you know, there were no restrictions on family gatherings and stuff, and my family being Hispanic, we enjoyed to be together, and we were were at my aunt's funeral, so it was the second, the second death in the, in that year. Uh, We were at my aunt's house, my aunt and uncle, they were husband and wife, and my uncle passed first, and my aunt passed seven months later. The family was there, and my aunts, which I call them aunts, but they're my grandmother's sisters, and in the Hispanic family, we're all close, and you still call them aunts. Yeah. And this would have been my uncle and my aunts, brothers and sisters. So we're all sitting there, and my uncle and aunts are seated around the table, and the kids and the grandkids are just kind of smattered around. There had to have been about 30 of us in the house. Oh, and wow. it was after the funeral. And we were all sitting there, and I was probably about three feet from my, behind my grandma. I was leaning up against a wall, and they had made a joke with reference to my aunt. And, and my aunt jokingly says, I'm sorry. Her name was Martha. She says, I'm sorry, Martha. It's just a joke. So <laughs> speaking to my aunt who had passed, Yeah. well, there was a sugar bowl on the table. On the center of the table, it was like a Lazy Susan with you know, coffee, uh, creamer, sugar, and spoons and stuff like that. So if you wanted coffee, yeah. there was a sugar bowl and it nobody touched it. There was nobody within inches of it. Nobody kicked the table. There was no noise. There was a sugar bowl. Like I said, and it had to be about, it was about a four inch diameter bowl with a lid and a spoon in it small spoon Hmm. and it it jumped up in the air and I say jumped because it went rapidly it didn't just float up it moved rapidly to about four or five inches above the table and then it moved probably two three inches to the left and spilled Hmm. Well. well we were we all nobody said anything and there was quite a few of us there we looked at it and then you know when we looked at the the bowl landed right in front of my aunt that I made the joke. Well, the sugar that came out came out in a heart. Oh
1: wow! A a heart.
0: Oh, that's so, incredible. Yeah, that was it. Was one of those kind of situations. Everybody was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> that was that was unusual.
1: Yeah, those are,
0: those are the kind of things that happen, and you know, it's not unusual. I think those that have passed come to visit us every once in a while, and you know, when you think about them and. It's not that it's to be scary or to be frightening. It's just those people that have passed just saying hi, just coming back to let you know they're still around. You know, and and that, those are the things that kind of that cling to me the most because those yeah. are the ones that mean the most.
1: Right, absolutely. And I agree. I I love it when loved ones who have passed on you know, make appearances, whether it's through phantom smells or apparitions or sweet things like that, what you just shared, I mean, those are such precious gifts, and I, I've had that too, where, where they come and visit, and to me, it's an honor, you know, that they're still there watching over us and letting themselves be known, so that's, yeah, that's, that's sweet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It's, it's one of those things and, and you know those things mean the most because yeah you know that not first of all you know that not only there's something next there's something to go on to from here whatever it may be and that your family is there and they're waiting for you whenever you go from whatever it is here to whatever's on there there's family there there's people there that you know and that you love and it's hope for the future i guess
1: no that's a good way to good way to put it for sure yeah i lost my great aunt but like you we never said great aunt she was always aunt you know and we lost her last year and it was so sad i mean she was she was in her 80s so she lived a good long life but it was still really sad but her husband my uncle dick he died just when i was a little girl and she never dated never went on a date always had her wedding ring on she was like you know just this like incredibly loyal person And, and I'm not saying you're not loyal if you remarry, obviously, but she just like never felt the need. And I asked her one time, you know, have you ever gotten lonely? Do you ever just like, you know, want to go on a date? And she said, Tessa, when you find true love, even though it was taken away from me way too early, he died from a heart attack. You know, I just don't feel the need. I experienced true love. And I had it for a short time. And I'm, I'm okay. Okay. And so when she died, I think I would have been a hell of a lot sadder. And I was sad, but I just, like, was so happy that they were finally reunited again. And I know that's oh, yeah. what she always wanted. And so I was I was so happy for that. So I think that when your uncle died, I bet he was waiting for her with open arms. And so what a great reunion that must have been, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you still miss him, but that's, yeah. that's us. That's our miss, not necessarily theirs.
1: Right. Uh, Right. No.
0: It's interesting. Like I said, it's it's just one of those things. You know, you have that hope and that that positive. I don't think it's supposed to be a negative transition. It's supposed to be a positive. You know, what makes it negative is that most people aren't ready to let go yet. You know, us, those that are still here, weren't ready for them to go. Because there's always, I sit and I think sometimes about the conversations that I could have had, you know.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, absolutely. Now, now, and being older like I am, you know, there's a million questions that I would like to ask or ask my grandpa and my, my uncles and aunts. Because, you know, they have those, they, they had to have had similar similar experiences.
1: Yeah, and, no, definitely. it's
0: just never. It's, it's always a good thing. What a better way to get a hold of it than from the people that
1: know you best and have known you forever. Good point. Absolutely. Well, Will, I am just so grateful for you to be on this episode and thank you so much for sharing all your really special and some eerie experiences and encounters and Pueblo's a small town. Maybe we'll run into each other sometime and share some more paranormal tales. <laughs> thank you for having me. What a real, true, nice guy and a true hero. Since 18 years old, he's been helping people. So amazing. Big shout out to Will Revis for being on the podcast. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes, sir! Listen to the others, you guys. They are all pretty phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, you can binge listen right by hitting up any of those podcast platforms such as Castro, Breaker, TuneIn Radio, Podchaser, wherever you may roam. To listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prado's podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Anaheim, California, North Wells, Pennsylvania, South Bend. Indiana, Golden Valley, Arizona, and Vijaywada, India. As always, it's greatly appreciated. Do you yourself have a spooky spine tingling tale to share or have an idea for a topic for an episode? I'm all ears and love suggestions, so please don't hesitate to message me at the Paranormal Prowlers Podcast Facebook page, Paraprowl on Twitter, Or email me at paraprow at gmail.com and we will
0: see you next week.